Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Left side, Swanson to first. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome into From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Live from the Kia Studios as we kick off the weekend with some more Braves and baseball talk. And we continue the countdown to opening day. We are now just four weeks away as we have begun the month of March. And on the 28th, Braves and Phillies, they'll renew hostilities as they say. A matchup that ended the Braves season a year ago. Well, that's exactly where they're going to pick up a new chapter in 2024 and hope to write a better ending or, as I keep hearing around this time of year, finish the story, as it were. Uh, Putting all of that aside, appreciate you joining me here on From the Diamond. Make sure you're following along on social media. That's the easiest way to keep up with everything I've got going on. Lots of Braves and baseball coverage as we continue that countdown to getting that season started. Find me at Grant McCauley on X and on Instagram. You can find the show on Facebook. Just search for From the Diamond there. Over at FromTheDiamond.com, you'll find links to everything I've got going on, including my writing in the Marietta Daily Journal. And I'd be remiss not to tell you, Subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcast. You can also find it on the Odyssey app. With that out of the way, a week's worth of Braves spring training action has ticked down since last we talked. Grapefruit League action has started. We've gotten to see some spring training debuts, some very nice stories, one of which I'm going to get to here in just a moment is already a feel-good story, but he wants it to be a lot more than that because he wants to get back to the business of competing and helping the Braves win a World Series. We're going to hear from Tyler Matzik, who is back after a year and a half On the shelf, Tommy John surgery taking him away from this team. You're going to hear a lot about his rehab journey and, of course, what he's hoping will happen this spring training to get him back in the mix in that Braves bullpen. As for what we've seen over this first week, I think a glimpse here and there at what the Braves lineup is going to look like, but there are still some questions about where a couple of the pieces are going to fit, and those discussions will likely ramp up as we get towards the end of spring training when you see more and more of the regulars in there together. We all know who's leading off for this club. It's going to be Ronald Acuna Jr. But who follows up in that two spot? And could that be an interchangeable position for two very important players? I've been thinking that it just might be, mostly because I think it's time that Michael Harris II get a lot more plate appearances than he can get out of that ninth spot. I know it's been terrific the past couple of years, especially having him kind of set the table in front of Ronald Acuna Jr., But the Braves lineup, it got a little bit deeper over the course of the offseason. And Harris, he showed in the second half that the more plate appearances you can get him, the better as he heads into his age 23 season. Could he be a featured hitter at number two for the Braves in the lineup this year? I'm interested to see that. Of course, we've noticed that the Braves aren't really playing their full contingent every day. So Michael Harris has been busy leading off for Atlanta, hitting some home runs, doing some things that look reminiscent of what Ronald Acuna Jr. does, though. I don't want to set the expectation that high. There would be a lot of excitement to have those two men back-to-back at the top of the order for the Braves, and I think there's a chance that that could be something that happens this year. But I don't want to take away from the importance of Ozzie Albies, who has also served as the Braves' number two hitter. And in particular, when paired with Harris, what if you had the chance to put Albies from the right side of the plate against lefties in that two spot 
Harris in the middle of the order. He hits lefties better than you think, but could those two pieces change a little bit? I think that they could. That would give the Braves some depth and versatility, power, run production, speed, everything you could possibly ask for from a lineup. Well, the Braves already have that in spades. What order they want to put that group out there? Brian Snitker can play with that throughout the course of the spring, and it might evolve over the course of the season as well. We saw that a time or three last year. But around Lacuna Jr., Michael Harris, Austin Riley, Matt Olson, Marcelo Zuna, Ozzie Albies against right-handers, then either Sean Murphy or Travis Darno, Orlando Arcia or Jared Kelnick, those are the guys that you're going to mix and match in the bottom three spots of the order, and that's still pretty darn good. And against lefties, Acuna, Albies, Riley, Olson, Ozuna, then Harris, then your catcher, then Arcia, then Kelnick. There could be a lot of good things from that lineup combination as well. This is the time of year where a lot of clubs might just be thinking about any and everything and throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. That's not really the way the Braves seem to operate. But from the outside perspective, if you're looking for intrigue in Braves camp, you don't really have a lot of that because there's not a position battle the way there was a year ago to figure out who's going to be the shortstop. You know who's going to be starting at every position for the Braves if health is indeed optimal and exactly how Atlanta wants it to be. So you don't have a lot of different players in camp trying to make this club to get every day at bats. And that, as Brian Snitker told us last week on the show, is a little bit different than it's been in years past, but doesn't take away from the importance of this time of year for some of the other players kind of on the edge of the roster, the periphery. Maybe they're going to earn a spot on the bench. Maybe they'll end up in AAA and be organizational depth that can be called upon at any point during the season. That's what we'll find out over the next six or seven months. So just a couple of thoughts about the lineup, which you don't need me to tell you exactly how good it is. They proved it last year. Can it be even better in 2024? I'm anxious to see. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this is a big spring training for Tyler Matzik. This is one of, I think, the big stories in camp, and not just because it feels good to have this guy back on the mound at all. Yeah, that's where it starts. But for Tyler Matzik, who was so instrumental to the Braves' bullpen having success in the postseason in the 2021 World Series run as part of the night shift, he's ready to get back to business. He's waited over 16 months to do it, and last Monday, he took a big step towards that by making his Grapefruit League debut, facing an opposing team for the first time since October 5th, 2022. When I was down to spring training in Northport, I got a chance to ask Tyler Matzik about how he's feeling and what this spring looks like as he ramps up with the goal of making the opening day roster. So they wanted me to have a normal offseason is what they called it. Um, obviously, it's a little bit different. It's not quite normal because I am still rehabbing, but they wanted to have a little bit of time off and then ramp up going into spring training. So I was able to have a little time off, ramp up into spring training and uh, looking to be healthy this spring training and into the season. Tommy John surgery is a detour that a lot of pitchers have to take over the course of their career. And while it may take some time to get back, it's no longer an injury that has to derail a pitcher's career. Tyler Matzik talked a little bit about the injury itself and what, if anything, he's altered in returning to the mound. I think the elbow kind of got messed up, just a bunch of little tiny nagging injuries that stacked up. And then the, the elbow was the thing that finally broke. So now that everything's healthy, you know, I'm feeling really good and, and nothing really mechanical that I need to change. Since the early portion of the rehab doesn't allow for much physically, Tyler Matzik had a chance to do a little bit of research on the timetable for that recovery which over the past decade or so has really stretched out from the 10 to 12 months that some pitchers were returning from Tommy John in to closer to 16 or 18 months, which is the case for Matzik and his recovery from his Tommy John surgery that he had in October of 2022. The stats show that, you know, for longevity, it's a, it's a huge thing. The bone, from my understanding, is that it's, the bone heals in six weeks, but the ligament doesn't heal for a whole entire year. And um, there's a whole 
know, break down the whole science of it. I trust me, I sat there and read all the science on it. Um, it, it takes at least 12 months until that's transitioned. And at that point you haven't even stressed it or anything. So, um, you know, guys taking closer to 16, 16 months to be hundred percent, I think is, is better for the longevity of those careers with the TJs. With the bulk of his physical rehab already done, now it's about getting off the mound, building back up that arm strength, regaining velocity, and feeling comfortable with where he is heading into 2024. Now, when exactly he makes his big league return remains to be seen. Could the Braves opt to be cautious at the end of spring training and have him go out on a rehab assignment over the first month? That is one of the possibilities, but Tyler Matzik already has that goal in mind for what a healthy season looks like for him. I'm able to go out there and pitch every, you know, every other, every third day, whatever it is, and put up 80 innings. That would be fantastic, you know. Uh, I don't want to say that that's what's going to happen, you know. Might get held back to 50, who knows, but uh, just being able to go out there and have confidence that I'm, I'm feeling 100% and I can go out there and, and show my best each day. The main talking point, as the Braves reported to spring training, was the World Series or bust mindset, the goal, the mantra, whatever you want to call it. I had a chance to ask Tyler Matzik how he weighs in on that, knowing that they've won it all in 2021. Is that the expectation for 2024? I'll let him tell you. We've set our goals at, you know, winning the division uh, every single year, and then we'll see what happens in the playoffs. And, um, you know, I think for where we were at at that point, I think that was, a, you know, a great goal. And I think that this team is just, it's built to do something special. And I think that we want to go out there and do something special. Tyler Matzik's been a part of something special. I think he has one of the greatest, most epic or iconic moments of the 2021 World Series championship season. His Game 6 performance against the Los Angeles Dodgers, punching out the side, getting the Braves out of trouble, and ultimately helping send them to the World Series. The last two Octobers have not had those moments for Matzik, who has found it difficult to sit on the sidelines and watch unable to help his team get back to the fall classic. I unfortunately had to miss two postseasons, you know, and in 22, I also, you know, I missed right before that. So, yeah, I felt like I was, uh, you know, I missed it, obviously. I didn't, I wanted to be out there and help the guys win. And, um, you know, hopefully I can be there in the end this year. And I mean, obviously that's the special time of baseball. We play the whole entire season for that one month of baseball. And um, yeah, I want to get back there. I think every player wants to get there. And I think we set the goal of getting there and now it's, Okay, we want to go do something special, and we have the roster to do it, and I'm just happy to be on this roster, and we'll see where we go from there. Well, the Braves have their eyes on this October and all the work that it will take to get back to a World Series, but much of that work for Alex Anthopoulos was taking place this winter, or at least that's the hopes. A couple of the moves he made were immediately re-signing Pierce Johnson and Joe Jimenez, trading for Aaron Bummer, and also signing Ronaldo Lopez, who may end up in the rotation before it's all said and done. But all these moves were designed to help fortify a bullpen that Tyler Matzik believes could be a pretty special group. Yeah, I think it's uh, unbelievable, honestly. You know, Alex has gone out and got pieces that, you know, he, uh, he fills holes that nobody else sees. You know, we didn't think we had holes, and then we go, oh my gosh, like this guy is perfect for this situation or that situation. So, you know, he knows what he's doing up there in the front office, and that's just a, you know, kind of tip your cap to those guys. They know exactly what they're doing. I don't know if there's a more special group of Braves relievers than the one from 2021 known as the Night Shift. Now, Tyler Matzik was part of that group, but he's not quite ready to come up with any nicknames in spring training. Oh, I don't know, man. If it organically happens, it organically happens. Um, I just know that we're going to have a bunch of really good pitchers, and uh, you know, whatever we start calling ourselves or people start calling us, that's up to them. We just want to go out there and dominate and win. Great to catch up with Tyler Matzik, who made his Grapefruit League debut on Monday. He's working to be ready for opening day, but again, the Braves might want him to get a few innings in AAA on a rehab assignment before he rejoins the big club for what they hope will be the duration of 2024.
Now, as you heard last week on From the Diamond, I sat down with Braves manager Brian Snitker on my trip as well, and I had to ask him about the importance of Tyler Matzik's return in 2024. One of the pieces that was missing from a year ago and has missed the last two Octobers is Tyler Matzik. Chatting with him a little bit a few days ago, he, it's no secret, is ready to compete, ready to get back out there, ready to contribute. How big of a difference do you think he can make on an already talented bullpen? Well, we've seen what he can do, I mean, when he's healthy. And um, so just getting him back out there, he's another one that's been, you know, he, he checked all the boxes, went through the rehab process, was dedicated to that. I know it wasn't easy. He was in there cheering his teammates on and rooting in right there with him every day last year and I know he's excited I know he feels good I watched a pin of his yesterday threw the ball extremely well but again you know what we got to go out and he's got to compete and you know get guys out and um, I know he feels good it's man a good Tyler Matzik from what he was a couple years ago could be a huge shot in the arm for us. Brian Snitker and all of us will be watching the progress for Tyler Matzik throughout the course of the spring with his eyes on making that opening day roster. You can check out my full conversation with Braves manager Brian Snitker in last week's show. It's in the archives over at FromTheDiamond.com or just find the episode wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you're subscribed wherever it works for you. So that's a bit about what's been going on this past week at Braves Spring Training. Grapefruit League action continues over the course of the weekend and the next three weeks as they try to whittle it down to 13 men on that pitching staff, 26 men on the opening day roster, and these games go a long way towards figuring out who exactly is going to fit where and health is going to play, I think, the biggest role for the Braves They've learned that a time or three in recent years. When we come back, we're going to shift our focus to what's going on across the world of Major League Baseball. No, I'm not going to bring up the Nike uniforms this week, but there are some rules changes, some tweaks for 2024. I'm going to talk to Anthony Castrovince of MLB.com to get us up to speed on what's going to look a little bit different, changes to the pitch clock, some base running adjustments. We'll talk about all of that next right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now back to more Graham McCauley and From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back into From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game, live from the Kia Studios on a Friday night as we discuss all the goings-on across spring training for the Atlanta Braves, but also Major League Baseball. A year ago this time, we were talking about a lot of rules changes, the pitch clock, so many things. It seemed foreign to us about 12 months ago. Well, they're part of everyday life in Major League Baseball, but the rules continue to evolve and to help me talk about that anthony castro vince of mlb.com joins me right now on the waitfor.com hotline anthony last year we were waiting to see what the pitch clock would do to the game that we love and as it turns out it did not upset the fabric of space and time at least as far as baseball is concerned <laughs> it was actually more of a net positive in the end and uh, i appreciate you joining me i know you wrote a piece about this for mlb.com recently but before we get into what's new how do you think baseball did adjusting to the pace of play a year ago i, mean, I thought it was great i thought it honestly could not have gone much better than it did. There was obviously the adjustment period, but I think the adjustment period was much more rapid um, than even MLB expected. Some of that's attributable to just how young the game is. And so many people uh, on rosters, I forget what the percentage was, but a significant percentage of, of guys on 40 man rosters had already played under the pitch clock rules uh, in the minor leagues. So they were accustomed to it. And, um, you know, you did have uh, some veterans griping, you know, Max Scherzer stands out in that regard. He was pretty vocal about it. But, uh-huh. I mean, I really think generally guys guys adjusted quick. You know, the violations were few and far between by the end of the year. And we got back to the 1980s style of time of game, which is very necessary, I thought. Yeah, it was not a catastrophic event, that's for sure. Uh, as far as the 2024 rules changes, or really they're more tweaks, I think, than anything. Let me ask you, 
about yeah. the clock adjustment first. What's the new number as far as seconds for fans to know? And what went into trimming a couple of seconds off of what we understood, in some instances anyway, was going to be the normal for pitch clock? Yeah, so it's a couple seconds off with runners on base from 20 to 18. And the impetus behind that is just what we saw over the course of last season where, again, I mean, overall, a lot of time came off the clock. We got it back to the lowest uh, you know, average time of a nine-inning game since the 80s. Mm-hmm. But what you saw as the year went along, so like in April, the average game time for a nine-inning game was two hours and 37 minutes. By September, it was two hours and 44 minutes. So that just comes down to guys adjusting to the clock and learning how to manipulate to their advantage. Mm-hmm. And so we lost seven minutes, essentially, over the course of the year. And so I'm sure some people will gripe, uh, even fans I've heard from, like, oh, why why are you shaving even more time off? But that's what it comes down to uh, is tighten it up just a little bit uh, with runners on base. And, again, it's still, I mean, the average time remaining on the clock uh, with the 20-second clock last year when a pitcher went into his motion was 7.3 seconds. So Mm. this shouldn't be a a big adjustment. And, honestly, I really haven't heard much about it. you know, games have just started here, but it's been way less of a topic of conversation than, of course, the implementation of the pitch clock last year. Yeah, I think at least now we have a foundation for what to expect from all of this. Chatting with Anthony Castrovince of MLB.com, he joins me on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game via the WadeFord.com hotline. As you mentioned, as far as runners on base and then that time of game that started to creep up a little bit as the year went on, it seems like this change in particular is trying to eliminate any opportunity for pitchers to kind of skirt that clock based on, I guess, the info they were able to gather and what they were able to glean from it with a year of it. Aside from their two disengagements, have they also got the clock operators starting things a little bit differently that will keep pitchers uh, maybe a little more honest? I don't know if that's the word. Well, it's just about having consistency from park to park. And we did see a little of that last year where I think it's only natural where, I mean, first of all, human beings operate the clock. So you're going to have a human (laughs) element, I guess, there. But but everybody's kind of feeling their way through this thing. And um, I was actually there last year, a a year ago, last February, where uh, they were, you know, training the operators for a weekend uh, at a collegiate tournament in Houston. That was really interesting to watch Mm -hmm. where, you know, they get adjusted to when to start the clock, when to stop it, et cetera. And, um, you know, there, there were certain operators that were frankly better than others. And those are the ones who were used in the postseason. Yeah. So, you know, that human element does come into play. I don't think it was so egregious or so different that it made a huge, you know, impact on the game. But yeah, it's just like the players themselves. I think uh, as the clock operators go into their second season, there's probably more familiarity and more comfort with this thing. Yeah, definitely. You know, I talked to Charlie Morton for a long time last year, and that's not hard to do because Charlie, I think, is one of the most thoughtful (laughs) players I have ever come across. And initially, I was just asking him, you know, as somebody who's been around for a while, how do you think this will affect you? How do you think it affects the game? And what I got was just an answer where he started to unpack all different kinds of things, like the attention that MLB or the players, you know, the game itself needs to pay to the product. And then, of course, you know, listening to the fans and what they want. And I think everybody to a man could say, well, if the games could move a little bit faster, we wouldn't be opposed to that. But what it was going to look like and how it was going to happen, that was what everybody Mm -hmm. was living out a year ago. And I think that, as we talked about, that kind of worked itself out. Now, there are things aside from the pitch clock that MLB is going to focus on when it comes to these rules changes and tweaks and new things that they're rolling out. One of the things that really struck me is what they're going to or how they're going to look at relievers who have warmed up and how they're going to be handled a little bit differently. We already know about the three batter minimum for pitchers who come in to start an inning. Uh, Can you walk us through what exactly Major League Baseball is looking to do and how that could be different as far as how managers employ their bullpen and how they get guys ready just in case they want to use them? 
Yeah, that could be interesting. So uh, a pitcher sent to warm up, they have to face one batter. Mm-hmm. That's an addition to the three batter minimum rule. So you know, maybe face three batters the previous inning, and now you come out through. Or I think we saw some instances even in the World Series. I think there were two instances in the World Series where a pitcher was warming up between innings uh, who had pitched the previous inning and then gets replaced prior to even throwing a pitch in that new inning. And all that does is add you know, three minutes of dead time as, as the yeah. new pitcher now comes in and warms up. So this is just to get around that, to, to prevent that, and to get those three minutes back and prevent teams from doing that. So that's just one small way that teams would try to manipulate the clock last year. And that's where the adjustments to the adjustments come, just like the batters adjusting the pitchers and whatnot. This is the league adjusting to the players. And of course, that's going to be part of the discourse, if you will, when you're trying to figure these things out and try to implement it in the best way possible. And when I first read it, and obviously, as you just explained it, it's completely different. But as far as guys warming up in the bullpen, teams can still kind of do that as they want to or need to. That is not going to be effective whatsoever. But if you come out onto the mound in the game situation and start warming up to face hitters, you're going to be facing at least one hitter is kind of the new way that MLB is looking at it to maybe discourage managers from trying to game the clock. Yeah, exactly. And then I don't think I even answered your question earlier about the operator, but that's another just a small, you know, this is a tiny little thing, but it, you know, these seconds add up, I guess, over mm-hmm. time. But the pitch clock operator now restarts the clock after a dead ball, like a foul ball, when the pitcher has the ball and play is ready to resume. So there's no requirement for the pitcher to be on the mound. Uh, basically. Uh, so what we saw was pitchers would kind of, you know, after a dead ball, they'd walk around the edge of the mound for a moment prior to, uh, mm-hmm. and, and then the clock would not start till they're actually on the mound. So again, these are, these are really minute things, but it's just all pointed to just tightening things up and preventing circumvention. I don't have this in front of me and maybe I should before walking us into a situation where both of us may be like, well, I don't know, and throw our hands up. But it seemed like in Philadelphia at Citizens Bank Park, the clock was maybe faster and obviously the time doesn't move any quicker, but maybe the operation of the clock was what gave people a little bit of an edge if you needed it for the home team as far as that was concerned. I don't really know. I'd have to really sit down and look at the numbers of it. But even Aaron Nola said that, yeah, the clock moves a little bit quicker in Philly. And it's kind of a funny statement on its face because it doesn't move any faster. (laughs) But how quickly exactly the uh, clock operator hits that button to reset that 20 seconds or that 15 seconds, that could certainly mean a lot to a pitcher and to a hitter. So it's funny you say that because that did come up. Um, You know, Philly was mentioned. I heard it from enough players over the course of the year that towards the end of the season, I asked some people with MLB, like, is something up in Philly? And actually what I was told was, if anything, the Philly operation was, it was more the model of what it should be in stopping and starting. So if anything, Philly was, Philly's one of the better uh, operators. Uh, It just felt a little fast compared to some other places where they were a little more lax. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. So maybe as we saw that last year, we'll now know what the standard should be for how quickly the clock operators have that finger on the trigger to get things, you know, restarted, keep things going. And again, not allow that circumvention outside of the couple of disengagements. Important to point that out. Pitchers do still have those. Uh, Anthony Castrovance of MLB.com joins me on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. I want to talk about the base running aspect of all this because there's going to be a change in the width of the lane to first base. I'm curious uh, how much and exactly what that will do to impact the game because those incidents really seem to be kind of isolated and fewer and further between than, say, pitch clock violations. Yeah, but it could, you know, this could be interesting. This could reduce... um you know, number of bang, bang plays. It could increase the number of guys just on base, which is probably a good thing for the product. And, you know, it is fascinating when you look at 
just that path uh, for a right-handed hitter in particular, it was needlessly, you know, to the right of the line, whereas now you have uh, until the edge of the dirt and the grass, you know, on the left-hand side. And mm-hmm. so it's just more room to operate, you know, and, and, and probably less also you want to prevent, you know, injuries around first base and that sort of thing. But um, this was kind of one where it just feels like, well, why weren't we doing it this way all along? You know, <laughs> I know uh, it's pretty popular among the players, uh, right-handed hitters in particular. But, um, yeah, so it's still chalk to keep the runners from going too far outside, you know, into foul territory. But instead of forcing them to be in foul territory, now they're able to run in fair territory, which, again, it makes perfect sense. And so glad to see them do that one. They tested it out in the Arizona Fall League, and, again, it just seemed like a no-brainer. Yeah, and it seems like one of those things like larger bases that we're not really going to notice moving forward. I know a lot of focus is always on the tiny details of the game, and we're not even going to get started on how the uniforms are changing and some of the details that may or may not (laughs) have been lost in all of that. But, you know, when it comes to the on-field product, people do want to feel like there's a continuity and that it it blends in with the way the game has always been played. Uh, Wrapping this up, I mean, there's a joint competition committee that oversees these changes that MLB institutes. and There was discussion about fielders blocking bases on plays that was up for discussion as well. What ended up happening with that? Because I have definitely seen a problem with that, maybe more so than anything else, including the runner's lane or pitch violations or any of the stuff we've talked about so far. Yeah, so this one, it's rather than an actual rule change, this is a guidance to an existing rule which is interesting. So the rule is already on the books. It's just a matter of how umpires generally call it. And what we've seen in the last few years is an increase of guys blocking the base prior to even having the ball. So this happens a lot at second base, like on a stolen base attempt at second base, the fielder setting up with his knee down, blocking the base before he even has possession of the ball. So now it's, that's going to be policed differently by the umpires where if the ball takes you there, sure. But other than that, it's really just about how you interpret, you know, that language and they want to interpret it more in favor of the runner now, as opposed to the fielder, which again, makes sense because it's a different environment in terms of the aggression of, you know, guys aren't sliding into other guys with their spikes uh, the way they did uh, (laughs) back in the olden days. And, but the byproduct of that is they're losing that lane. So this is really intended to open up that lane, much like they did, uh, with home plate, you know, with yeah. the collision rule. So again, another thing that this could further uh, help Mr. Acuna and others as they steal second base, um, it could help the stolen base rate and just the general number of guys who are safe on these plays uh, at the bases. So that's a good thing, I think, for the overall entertainment product as well. Yeah, and it should be interesting to see exactly how that plays out because one thing you think of, and I'm, I'm not calling it dirty pool or anything, but there are rules that are put into base runners not being able to initiate contact around the second base bag in particular, but it's pretty uh-huh. hard not to have contact if the guy's blocking the base when you're on your way in. So hopefully this is something exactly. that kind of sorts that out, evens the playing field, if you'll pardon the pun. Uh, Anthony, appreciate all of your time. Is there anything else that's kind of uh, left off of what Major League Baseball is looking to do or anything that you feel like might be brewing in the future? Or is this a case of kind of year to year, find out where we are and see how we can improve? Well, they don't want to do too much this year. I mean, last year was a big sea change. You know, that was the biggest, probably the biggest collection of rule changes in the sport in, in the modern era. Yeah. And so there was hesitancy to do anything bold. Now, obviously, we're talking about minute tweaks, you know, little things here and there. But I do think, you know, the automatic ball strike system, I think it's going to be a reality in Major League Baseball before too long. And I think most likely it would be via the challenge system. Um, It's just there are some particulars with the technology and and the implementation of it 
at the minor league levels that they're still feeling out and the challenge system itself, you know, how many challenges you get, et cetera. So, but I do think before long, that's going to be a big league reality. Well, it should be interesting to see how and when that exactly rolls out and how Major League Baseball tackles that, because I'm sure that's going to raise a few eyebrows and have a lot of interested parties, both on the field, in the stands, and beyond that, to the folks like us who end up talking about this stuff way more than possibly we should. Anthony, I appreciate all your time. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Hope you have a great 2024 season. Grant, thanks so much for having me, man. Anthony Castrovents of MLB.com. Follow him on X at Castrovents is where you can find him. When we come back, we turn the page back to the Atlanta Braves, and you're going to hear from the man who's in charge of putting this team together on what his expectations are for 2024 and beyond. I had a chance to chat with Alex Anthopoulos at Braves Spring Training down in Northport. You'll hear that conversation next right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back to Grant McCauley for more From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And welcome back into From the Diamond with Grant McCauley here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, live from the Kia Studios on Friday night as we get our weekend started and we keep track of what's been going on for the Atlanta Braves down in Florida, where they got their Grapefruit League slate started this past week. So after a very long wait, we got baseball every day again. Now, as you know, I was down in Northport when the Braves reported to spring training to spend a week around the club as they got ready to start their exhibition schedule to see some of the new pieces, how they fit into a club that, by and large, looks very familiar from the one that won 104 games last year and a one that's got some unfinished business and is hoping that those new pieces are going to fit right in and help this club play baseball all the way through October. And when it comes to putting the pieces in place, there is one man who has that ultimate responsibility yeah, he's got a hard work in front office as well, great scouting department, all of those things, but the general manager's job never really has a day off. And Alex Anthopoulos, he didn't take too many days off over the course of the winter as he was scouring, trying to find the right players and the right moves that can make this club just a little bit better. And I think he was able to do that. He pulled off some trades to address the starting rotation and to address left field. He signed some relievers over the course of the offseason to make the bullpen that much stronger. And you add all of that to a core that, by and large, is under contract for the rest of the decade. And you've got all the makings of a club that has World Series aspirations. In fact, World Series are bust. I got to catch up with Alex Anthopoulos down in Northport to get his thoughts on Braves spring training getting started, his expectations for 2024, and much more. Here's my chat with Braves GM Alex Anthopoulos. Here with Braves General Manager Alex Anthopoulos as we begin spring training. I know that all 30 teams are looking at the big prize at the end of that road, and that's the World Series. It's something that the Braves know a little thing about, but the last couple of years have not gone the way that this club has wanted it to, which has led to a very motivated-sounding clubhouse. What's been your read through the winter and as these guys get here and get to work on where exactly this club is on day one of this long journey? Yeah, look, we know we have a talented group. We have a good team, but, you know, you got to get to the postseason first, right? So... At least from my standpoint, I, one year I got ahead of myself on this stuff, and um, it definitely impacted construction of the roster. So I think, you know, I know there are all these cliches, but I do think we have to just really be in, in the moment, get through spring healthy, get through the season, try to win the division, hopefully win it and get to the postseason. And then obviously the mindset changes there and see wh- where you're at. But, you know, it's the beginning of a long journey. I think, you know, beyond just the disappointment of not winning. You know, you start thinking, wow, we had a really good club last year, and it's like, wow, we have to climb that mountain all over again to get back to this position. You just can't take that for granted because a lot of really good teams in the NL. 
Yeah, I talked to A.J. Minter on day one, and he was the second or third player I've heard use the phrase or the slogan World Series or bust. I don't know that that's going on T-shirts. They're going to be hanging on signs. It's a pretty obvious goal for a club, yeah. and especially a team that has done it before. Last couple of years, as you look to maybe figure out what you can do on your side to help supplement this club and get them over that hump, do you feel like this winter's additions were able to kind of take a step toward that and maybe just help get this club back where they expect to be, where you expect to be? Yeah, I mean, look, we felt good about our offense. So you know, other than Jared Kelnick, it's the same group is coming back. And, you know, obviously we made some changes to the bench, but um, the group is for the most part the same. And look, we added depth in the rotation. We added depth to the bullpen, you know, and then from there, guys need to be healthy. Guys need to perform to their capabilities. But well, we definitely felt like we were light, no doubt, uh, especially from the left side of the bullpen. And we had a bunch of injuries, obviously, two years in a row in the rotation leading into the postseason. So by having more bodies and we're a little further along with some of our young arms as well. And we feel like we're in a better position today than we were a year ago. I've talked to you a lot since you took the job in 2018. And I know the job changes each and every year. And success clearly changes the blueprint. It, I guess it evolves, is a uh, long story short. Going into a winter like you did in 2023, coming into this one, knowing that you have so many pieces that you've worked hard to lock in for a long time, does that help you really narrow the field on what you're looking for? And who kind of helps you pick those pieces? Because I know you talked about other Clubs may not have even realized you were in on a player until the deal's done, and that's something that I think a lot of folks would like to have known, that maybe this player or that player is available. Right. Yeah, I mean, we definitely keep a small group. We keep a small circle overall. But, you know, we have front office staff, and um, whoever we think, you know, has expertise in a certain area, we'll lean on them and talk to them. But, you know, every year it's challenging. You know, you're bringing the same team back. I mean, the way the system's set up is the guys are going to get more expensive. So to keep a team together is challenging. Now, we're fortunate that our payroll's been climbing each year. But you have to make tough decisions at the same time. You know, you're allocating dollars to certain spots. So that's obviously the balancing act. You know, as guys are getting further along in their, their career, they're chewing up more percentage of payroll, things like that. So you just have to balance it out a little bit more. But you know you need depth at the same time. So you're having success. You're going to pick later in the draft. Uh, you have to be that much more successful. Um, but look, these are good problems. These are problems you want to have. But it's challenging, um, and we're grateful that we've continued to gotten support from Terry McGurk, and obviously that the fan base continues to support us, and you know, we've been able to climb into a top 10 payroll, which has obviously been a big part of us being able to keep all these guys. And speaking of which, I mean, you've been able to hand out these extensions, lock down some of these players. One of the big moves over the last couple of years is bringing in Matt Olson, and now he's two years into his long-term contract with this club. I don't know that the expectation can be set to break the team's home run record every year, but how impressed were you with how Matt Olson has really just fit into this club, the workman-style ethic that he seems to have? Because he doesn't speak so loudly off the field, but on the field, he put up some pretty serious numbers last year. Yeah, I mean, everyone focuses on the offense as the home runs, but we just had our, you know, our, our spring training meeting with our staff and just going some of the defensive stats on him. Just the receiving runs, ability to pick balls in the dirt. You know, the fact that the, the way he can stretch uh, and get to balls and some of those bang-bang plays and things like that, the impact that, that it has, that adds up over the course of a season. So, you know, he's such a good defender as well. And look at the improvements he made from 22 to 23 offensively. He'd obviously had a great season prior to that with Oakland, but um, he just continues to get better. And like you said, he, he's a rock. The durability piece, the teammate, the person, you feel good knowing that you know he has one of the biggest contracts in the history of the, the team, and um, he's really a pillar. 
I was flipping through the 2023 stats, and one that kind of stuck out to me was 16 different starting pitchers a year ago. You got Chris Sale over the course of this offseason. Charlie Morton's back for another year. Hopefully a healthy season from both of those guys, as well as Max Freed. Bryce Elder's now got a year more of experience. And, of course, uh, let me bury the lead. Spencer Strider was a 20-game winner and led Major League Baseball in strikeouts. As you look at this rotation, at least on paper, and with the hope of health moving forward, how good do you feel about this group that you've assembled? Yeah, I mean, you definitely feel good about it, but you know things can't change quickly. Like you said, we needed 16. I think the year before we used 11 or 12. Um, so look, I think last year was hopefully the outlier for us in terms of the number of different bodies we needed to start games. But you still have to be prepared, right? You can't be caught shorthanded. And we're always looking at depth. We're always looking at how many starting candidates do we have. And hopefully you don't need to use them all. So we feel good about the group. These guys are capable of being able to log innings and starts and so on. But um, you can never have enough bodies. And you know, the fact that we have some young guys that are a little further in their, their career, um, you know, hopefully we can have another nice surprise from one of those guys over the course of the year. You did a rather lengthy media conversation before we were able to grab this time and Ronald Lacuna Jr.'s name didn't come up until about 20 minutes into it. I know I've waited for a minute for it too but as you assess and look back over what his 2023 was and what the future could be for this kid and the fact that he's just now coming into the prime of his career I mean how do you put that all into context that this is a player that's here for the Braves to build around and perhaps one who's going to, when it's all said and done, be one of the great players in this franchise's history? Yeah, he's definitely got a chance to be, right? He's got a chance to go down as a you know Hall of Famer and the greatest Brave, and you know, he's, you know, he's got a chance to do those things. Obviously, that's a high bar. Um, when you have guys like Chipper and Hank Aaron and yeah. so on. But, you know, he's that talented. There's no doubt about it. So um, he continues to get better. I mean, we never thought he would cut the strikeout rate the way he did last year. We didn't see that coming. Yeah. Um, is exceptional. You know, normally you see guys with that type of power. Uh, you have to give something and um, hit for average, hit for power, run the bases, play defense. It's exceptional. I think he just continues to get better now. now is he going to be an MVP every year or keep doing this? No, but is he capable? Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's that talented. He's that good. It's real. I don't think it was all the stars aligning for him. I think that's his ability, which is such a, a credit to him, considering he's 26 years old and, you know, just can continue to get better and continue to mature as a player um, and his game and his prep and so on. So it's exciting knowing that um, we're going to get to see the prime years of Ronald. A year ago this time, we were talking about what would Ronald Acuna Jr.'s 2023 look like after his 2022, but another guy I feel like in that same sentence had to be Ozzy Albies, who had a 2022 that was derailed by injury, and it really wasn't the year that he needed, and I think that that was something that the club missed for long periods of time. In 2023, he was back doing big-time Ozzy Albies things. How important is his presence both on the field and to this clubhouse? Yeah, I think he's everyone's favorite player and teammate, I think. You know, he just infectious personality team leader in his own way. I mean, I think if you were to say the one guy, and everyone, we have a great group of guys, 26, but that's the one guy that I think it'd be unanimous across the board. Uh, he's as good as it gets and obviously a phenomenal talent. So, um, yeah, he was hit the bounce back he had last year. You know, we had such a great offensive season, and you look at Rosario bounce back, Ozuna bounce back, obviously Albies bounce back, Ronald bounce back. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and those guys, you weren't surprised because they were all capable of doing it, yeah. and they're all still young. So, you know, that was obviously why we had the offense that we did, and the guys that were consistent every year continued to do their thing. So hopefully we continue to have health, and these guys can uh, continue to play up to their talent. Let me wrap up with this. It's a roster construction question because you're a guy who constructs a roster. I mean, this is a team that between all the extensions and all of the players that are in place, bringing back so much of a successful 2023 club, 
not a lot of open spots for competition in spring training might be how people look at it from the outside but on the inside both from this level and from the clubhouse level how important is this competition in spring for guys to get those last couple of spots and to maybe make an impression that shows you that they can be useful over the course of a very long marathon to get to and through october yeah i mean look like you said there's not a ton of competition right now there's the fifth starter spot there's um the bench spot maybe a, a spot in the bullpen but you know even if that's the way it looks today, over the course of the season, the impression that you leave here as a player, there'll be times where Snit or the coaches will say, you know what, so-and-so really left a good impression on us in the spring. Let's give them a look if they're mm-hmm. performing in Gwinnett. So I think it's important, you know, whether you know, Bryce Elder didn't make the team and he was an all-star, so yeah. he was up soon after. So uh, you never know, and we know we're going to need all these guys. We know the team we start with, we're definitely not going to end with, and there's going to be a lot of changes, and people will have their opportunities. So, you know, what they show here is just they really plant seeds in the minds of the staff. Alex, it's a great time of year. Everybody's excited to be back, to get to work. Thank you so much for all your time, and hopefully the first of many times we'll be catching up about a 2024 Braves club that is able to complete its mission and and live the dream of World Series or bust. Yeah, that would be phenomenal. Obviously, you know, you hope that you look up eight months from now or whatever it's going to be and, you know, say you won the whole thing. And we've experienced it once. We know what it feels like. It's incredible. I'd love to do it again. I know the fans feel the same way. Thank you so much. Okay, appreciate it. Thank you. Always appreciative of the time of Alex Anthopoulos to chat with me about the 2024 club, his outlook on it, and so many other things. We're all just getting started here. The Braves have been playing just about a week's worth of Grapefruit League games. They've got about three, almost four more weeks of that. And the countdown to opening day, we're under a month now because that's March the 28th against the Philadelphia Phillies. And I think that's kind of apropos. The way the season ended in 2023 against this club, why not start it up in 2024 and try to set the tone for the season? I know that April games, they don't really go that far towards really charting the course to October, but I think the Braves would like to get started on the right foot and like to get this long marathon going with a good showing against the Philadelphia Phillies. But that series, of course, we can talk about just a little bit later this month. I appreciate you as always joining me here on From the Diamond. Had a really great chat with Anthony Castrovens of MLB.com, who was nice enough to join me and talk about the updated or tweaked rules for 2024 across MLB. It's not going to be quite as crazy as last year when we all had to get used to the pitch clock and the pace of play and all those initiatives. And after a year of that, I do feel like it kind of started to settle in. And maybe we didn't notice the clock quite as much, but I am happy that we're not talking about a seismic shift in rules changes yet again this season. But thank you to Anthony Castrovins for joining me to talk about that. Now here's what's on deck for From the Diamond. The next spring training special comes your way next Friday at 1030 right here on 92.9 The Game. That's March the 8th if you want to check your calendars. Now, if you want to keep up with everything I've got going on, social media is the place to do that. At Grant McCauley on X and on Instagram. You can find the show on Facebook. Just search for From the Diamond. You'll find it right there. And make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple and Spotify, those have been running strong for years. No more Google Podcasts pretty soon. So you can find me on YouTube Music and on Amazon and Audible. All you got to do is search for From the Diamond. Hit that subscribe button and you won't miss an episode. If you want links to any and everything I've got going on, fromthediamond.com is a place to find it. You can hit subscribe over there as well. That's going to do it for this spring training special edition of From the Diamond. I look forward to talking with you next Friday right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.